Welcome to Reliance's Sunday Sermon. Worship with us at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. God, thank you for just an amazing day. Thank you for the men and women in this house. Thank you for the faith right now in the room. Holy Spirit, we ask that your truth would go forth, not the opinions of man, but the truth of God's word that convicts, transforms our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... So we said that this summer we're starting a series called Cultivating Foundations, and we're going to be walking through what it is that we believe. And so there was just something stirring in our hearts of saying, do we know what we believe and why we believe it? And so we're going to be working through that through June and July, and I use the word cultivating, and I want to read the word one more time, the definition to you of what it means to cultivate, just in case you missed it. To cultivate means to prepare, to till up, to loosen, to break up the soil in order for growth and development to happen. Cultivation then calls forth planting, watering, tending to the soil so that eventually there's a harvest. And I believe for us this summer, it's going to be a time to cultivate the soil of our hearts to receive the truth of God's word to transform our life. Amen, church? And this is what we're after. Um, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, again, Hosea gets this picture, this revelation from the Lord, this word from the Lord, and this is what the Lord tells him. Break up your fallow ground, meaning that wild, hardened ground that you can't really plant or sow into. Break up that ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And so this is what we're after. We're looking to till up the soil of our hearts to know God's word. So here we are, Pentecost Sunday. What you'll see at Pentecost was the Holy Spirit came, fell on about 120 people in the upper room. They got filled with the Spirit. And this is what happens right after that. Peter goes out, addresses the crowd, preaches the truth of God's word, the foundation of our faith. 3,000 people get saved. And I'm believing that today the church needs to get back to our foundation of truth and let us know and remind ourselves in our heart, the truth of God is what changes and transforms lives, amen? And so this is why this is so important to us. As I was thinking about this, I was actually thinking about, man, laying the right you know, foundations, cultivating things the right way. Uh, when I was in high school and when I was in college, I got to work at Sedgwick County Zoo. And uh, I would come home in the summer times uh, from college at, at K-State, and I would work in the horticulture department. And so in the horticulture department, we did all the planning. Everybody always said, you work at the zoo, you scoop poop. No, I did not scoop poop, all right? <laughs> but I, I did plant things all the time. That's what we would, we would do. And, and I was sharing with the last service, I remember we'd have to plant tons and tons of things for exhibits and all these things. So we would plant flowers a lot of times. And, and I would always start, they'd give you, you know, 50, 100 flowers to plant. And the first ones that I would plant, I would go deep, really deep, so the roots would be good. I took time and care in it, made sure that it was good. But by the time that the day progressed, I got a bit lazy. And so by the time I got to the end of the flower bed, I'd planted 50 flowers. I was just kind of barely digging the hole, putting the flower in there and stomping it down. You guys know what I'm talking about. And so if you went to Cedric County Zoo 25 years ago, you would notice the flowers in the first row looked beautiful, all the other ones were dead. That was my handiwork right there. <laughs> there was a reason for that. I started off really tenderly caring for them, 
But as I got into the rest of the day, I just kind of began to lose interest. And as I lost interest, it didn't really matter how deep I went. I think many of our spiritual lives are like that. We start off deep in the Lord. We're ready. We're hungry. We want his word. We crave it. We love prayer. We love meeting together. But as life begins to progress, what happens is we're okay with just barely digging a little bit and just kind of stomping it down. You guys know what I'm talking about? This is why, to me, foundations are so important. We have to know the truth of God's word planted in our heart. I had a chance to go out and speak a little bit of of this message to a group at the Presence Worship House where they have 11 residents that came in learning about worship. And here's what I was, was sharing with them. We can absolutely talk about things of the Lord that are truly not things of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? We can have an idea of who God is and then miss his heart, and it's not really who he is. We can get enthusiastic about it. We can write songs about it, and if it's not the truth, it will not change anything in the room. For instance, we could write a song all day long about how God changes all the time. God is always changing. We could write a song about how he's always changing. We could get goosebumps about how God is always changing. But the truth is that's a lie because he's never changing. And so we could sing about it and it would do nothing in the room. It wouldn't transform one heart. But the moment we begin to sing about how he's never changing, it would change everything in the room. Because when we begin to sing about how he's never changing and we read scripture, you go, God, you're never changing. You were victorious back in the day. You're victorious today. You're never changing. You parted the Red Sea back in the day. You'll part the Red Sea today. And all of a sudden, faith rises in the room. Why? Because we sing the truth of who God is. This is why the foundation of truth is so key. Because there's many thoughts and ideas about Jesus that are not Jesus. And so my heart is burning with this word. I was going to give you a fair warning today. We're a little on fire, all right? We're a little on fire. I have no apologies for whatever comes out of my mouth today if it's the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so I want to share why I think this is so important because as we develop over the summer what our foundations are in the faith, I want to tell you why it's important. And the word today is that we have to cultivate foundations because we need a biblical worldview. Everybody say biblical worldview. I want to talk about this today, a biblical worldview. George Barna just put out research company. They just put out the latest research. They're very widely accepted. They're very widely respected as being really, really good at what they do and really getting a poll and kind of a census for where people's hearts are at. The newest polls from the George Barna Research Company talking about a biblical worldview showed that only 37% of pastors today hold a biblical worldview. Meaning that there's 63% of pastors and leaders in churches that don't look at the world through the lens of the scriptures. And so it said because of that, it's even lower than in the congregations. Only about 20-something percent of people that come into the life of a church look at the world through the lens of scripture. I'm telling you, this is why we are where we're at today. It's tragic. And I'm just saying in a room this size, some of us are going to be challenged by this word today. Culture, then they go on to say is, if we're talking about a worldview, a worldview is the lens in which you see the world, how it affects you. It's your basic beliefs. It's your values. It's the way that you, the things that you build your your life on. And he goes on and he talks about how typically a worldview is formed when you're 13. 
By the time you're 13, you have an idea of kind of how you value, how you do life, kind of what you want to build your life upon about the time that you're 13. And then in your teens, in your 20s, you begin to work that out a little bit. You begin to go, is this what I like? Or maybe I'll take a little bit of this, maybe not a little bit of this. And so we begin to kind of refine what that view is that we start to build by the time that we're 13. And here's what their research was showing, that culture is influencing the church more than the church is influencing culture. And it's why we've got some issues out there today. And and it's not brand new. The, The Roman Empire did the same thing. The Roman Empire tried to influence the early Christian church, and they sewed in their kind of Greek mythology, and so Christianity got a little muddled in there from time to time, but ultimately, God's truth always wins, and the Roman Empire would become a Christian, uh, a Christian nation at that time, 300 years after Christ, roughly, 315 years after Christ. And so always there's a little bit of kind of the, the world's system trying to come in and muddy the waters of what pure, honest, heart, sincere devotion to Jesus looks like. And we see it again, we saw it in the Old Testament too, it's not just a New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, the people of God saw God, knew who God was, saw his works, and yet other peoples would come into their camps and bring their idolatry and take them away from the Lord. This is what's happening, this is one of Satan's number one goals, is try to muddy the water on what it is that we Believe. Try to take a little bit of the world systems and sprinkle it in and make it try to look good. It's the same thing that, that Satan did to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. Just take a little bit of did God say and sprinkle a little bit of his own stuff in there and ultimately get them to, to be led astray from what they know the word of the Lord said. Amen? So, so what this poll was suggesting was just simply this. We don't see the world through the lens of scriptures anymore. Therefore, our values now, what we value in the world, doesn't always value what God values. So here we are confessing that there's a God of the universe, that he is over all. He's over all things. He created all things. He's like this, oh, and majestic, and one day he's coming back, and what we're saying to him is, you're amazing, but we kind of like our way a little bit better than you. That's what it means when we're going, I don't think I need to know what you think. I don't think I need to know what you care about. And there's a problem in that, amen? And so what happens is, is we say things like, you know what, I really just kind of bank my life on whatever my emotions are in my heart. I just kind of wherever my emotions are, that's kind of what I see as, as value. There's a big problem with that. I'm gonna throw some darts, all right? Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's what he's saying. Like, if our whole life and value system is bent on what my emotions are, the Lord is telling you, look, your heart is going to try to deceive you. It's why the Lord says, I don't want you to have your heart. I want you to have my heart. It's why I'm taking your heart out and I'm replacing it with with, with my heart. And so when we bank our life and our values and our worldview off of our emotions, we're missing the true truth that can transform your life. When it comes to a a worldview, all of us have one. Every, Every one of us have one. And it's affected by those we hang out with and those we do life with and celebrities and the things that we watch. And it's affected by the places that we go. Everybody has 
a worldview. It's how you develop your thoughts about suffering. It's how you develop your thoughts about good things. It's how you develop your thoughts about good and evil. It's called a worldview, and everybody has one, and the way that we look at the world makes all the difference in the world. The way you see it makes all the difference. It determines how you define reality. It determines how you relate with one another. And so when we come into Christ, our worldview should be changing to his view. When we come into Christ, the biblical worldview becomes the lens in which we see the world. So there was a time where if Casey made me mad and he was my enemy, I would want to retaliate against him because he's my enemy. But then I come into Christ, and Christ's worldview, Christ's biblical view is that I've got to love my enemy. And not only love my enemy, I've got a blessing. Mm-hmm, right? So all of a sudden, the way that I once responded is going to change now that I'm in with Christ. This is how important it is. It'll affect the way in which we live and relate in our society. When we believe, and I want you to know here at Reliance, just to get this out of the way, when we believe that the word of God is inspired by God, inerrant and infallible, we are on steady ground. Amen? And we believe that. His word is it. It's it. It is the sustenance of all things. The word is alive. The word is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we believe this. However, very few, according to these statistics, people believe that today. Most people don't believe the word of God is, 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 is the infallible word of God. Most people think it's some good stories, some good value systems, but kind of do your, your own thing. And I'm just telling you, like even in your heart right now, if that wars against you, I love you, we love you, but, but it's shaky ground because where's the line? Where's the foundation in which we see through the lens of Jesus? And so um, how did we get to know about Jesus in your life right now? How, how did you get to know about Jesus? Somebody probably taught you about Christ. Here's what Paul's gonna say in Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. Paul gives a, a word about having new life in Christ, and here's what he says. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So the Gentiles are just kind of a, a word of going, those that don't know Christ, those that don't know God, like there's a way in which they walk where they do their own thing. They navigate their own way. They, they, they charge ahead in life in their own way. He calls it the futility of their minds. He says they're, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. In other words, they've just hardened their hearts to say, I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to tell you, that was me. That was me, and I still have the tendency at times to go, I'm gonna do it my own way. I'm gonna say, it never ends well for me, amen? Amen. So then he says this in verse 19. They have become callous because of that hardness of heart. They don't have a line. There's no like stable foundation, so they become callous, and then they just give themselves up to, he'll say, sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, it's, it's a free-for-all. Nothing matters anymore. Our heart is hardened. We don't have stable ground. We'll do whatever feels good. And he'll say these words in verse 20 about you and I. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You see, Paul's saying 
that, that there's a way in which we used to walk, but now you've learned Christ different. The way you see the world now is different. The way you interact with people is different. The way you want to do family is different. The way you want to pursue work is different. The way you want to be in, in your life is different. Why? Because you learned about Christ and he changed everything. Look, look, he says, to put off your old self, it belongs to the old former manner of life through its corrupt, deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the righteousness and holiness. So here we are, all of us have these ideas of who Jesus is, how he is, how he formed us through what we've been taught, and that's awesome until the version of Jesus that we've been taught is not the version of scripture. And this is the problem, and Paul's gonna talk about this all through scripture. Jesus is gonna talk about it many times in the gospels to be careful that somebody's not gonna come in, try to sway you with a different Jesus than the Jesus of scripture. A different gospel than the gospel of scripture. He's gonna spend time saying, be careful, that's when it gets dangerous. Such as throughout the centuries, that somehow Jesus will love you and Jesus will save you if you work really hard for him. And all of a sudden, we developed a gospel through works, which is no gospel at all. You've been saved by grace, not by works, so that no one will boast. And then when you've been saved by grace, the works will pour out of you. Amen? Then through the times, we've also got other things that came in. All of a sudden, we began to develop a gospel of prosperity, where if I claim it, it's coming. Now, here's the problem with that. We forget about the gospel of suffering that's written all through Scripture. You want to share in my glory, Jesus says? You're going to share in my suffering. So there's a partnership that comes with those. There's also other things that have tried to develop over the times, such as New Age teaching. It's all about the goosebumps and the feels. And if I feel it, and I hear this all the time, if I feel it inside of me, and I've got a little bit of this static energy in me, and I'm saying, be careful with that. I don't find that in Scripture. There's one thing in you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Be careful. And so here Scripture is. It's laying it out. And Paul's going to say it so fervently in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, that he says it like this to the elders of the church of Ephesus. I know that after my departure... Like he came in, he's teaching in the church of Ephesus, he leaves, he says, I know that after my departure, he says, fierce wolves will come in among you and from among your own selves and will raise, uh, uh, will, will arise, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking, everybody say twisted things, to draw away disciples after them. Now here's something interesting I read on this. Twisted things that Paul's referring to don't always mean denials of, of, of the Bible. It doesn't always mean the denial of the Bible. It can simply be taking Scripture, twisting it, reinterpreting it, so that somehow now it's widely accepted in culture. It could just be something that the Lord's like, this is, this is how I see things, and we're going, man, that's, that doesn't bode well with culture. I'm going to take that, I'm going to reinterpret that, I'm going to tell you i got a revelation from the Lord, and then I'm going to put it over here, and all of a sudden culture goes, oh, now that's a God I can follow. That is void of power. It's void of authority, and we've got to be careful with that kind of stuff when we're twisting the word of God so that somehow it molds better into my life or molds better into the culture in which we live in. 
I, I heard a quote one time that says, there's more theological battles, more theological battles have been lost to enemies inside of the church than to those outside of the church. Simply because we take the word, we twist it to make it feel a little bit better. Here's what Paul's gonna say in 1 Timothy 6.3 about this. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says sound instruction. He doesn't need my help to interpret that, amen? He says in sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching they are. If they don't adhere to this, they're conceited and understand nothing. Church, here's what, here's what we're seeing according to Barna's research. There's at least 63% of leaders out there in the churches that believe that they're a little bit better at interpreting scripture than the Holy Spirit gave it. That's dangerous, amen? That's dangerous, it's dangerous. And so um, we'll talk about all of these foundations of what it looks like then to build our biblical worldview. But I wanna tell you real quickly, just a, a quick shot of worldviews that are out there that maybe some of us have bought into. L listen to this one. There's the, and, and there's different names for all these, but there's the, there's the worldview of materialism. The worldview of materialism says this, the one with the most toys wins, right? The one with the most toys with, it's the, it, I'm gonna build my life and success off of getting more. What really matters in life is, do I have more than my neighbor? That's gonna be the measure of my success. Here's the problem with that. Jesus challenges that in Luke 12, 15. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he's gonna talk about the not storing up yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth and thieves are gonna get it, but storing up yourself treasures in heaven. There's another one that's called individualism. It's a worldview, it's a me first mentality. It's a me first, serve me, it's all about me. All of our commercials, all of the things that we have in our life really war against our heart in this worldview because we think it's all about me. We think that the world is about me. It's why we get angry with our spouse, because it surely couldn't be about me, it's gotta be about her. It's why we get angry when, when we're at work. We're like, oh, my boss is always coming down on me. He expects me to do work. This is ridiculous. Because it's about me. It's why we get angry in traffic. Do all of these people not realize that I'm on a mission to get somewhere? Get out of my way. Why? Because it's all about me. How dare they do that? Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 16, 25, if you wanna keep your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find what true life is. What good is it if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Jesus will say this about himself. Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The world is more than about you, and the more that you think the world is about you, the more angry and tired you will get, but the more that you realize it's not about you, the more free you will get in your heart. Hedonism, everybody say hedonism. Do whatever feels good. It's a worldview, do whatever feels good. This might be the one that we're seeing a lot in our life. Do whatever feels good. Good, if it feels good, it's good. If it feels bad, it's bad. Here's the problem, Solomon has a lot to say about that in Ecclesiastes. I tried it all, I had it all, I did it all, I lived it all, I had every pleasure known to the world at that time, and here's what he said, it's all meaningless. 
I found no pleasure in it. I, I love Proverbs 21, 17, and I love it from the message translation. I'll read it from the ESV after that. Here's what it says from the message translation. Proverbs 21, 17. Are you addicted to thrills? <laughs> what an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Here's what the ESV says. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. There's another one called um, uh, pra uh, uh, pragmatism. Pragmatism, this is another worldview. Pragmatism says, whatever works for you, you do you. And so this is one we're seeing as a popular view in our life today as well. It seems like this, basically, in our society. There's a lot of people that think that the worst thing that you could ever do is to tell somebody that they're doing something wrong. So this, this viewpoint, this world viewpoint, this pragmatism world viewpoint is going, I could never tell somebody that what they're doing might be destructive because they just need to do whatever works for them. That's madness. My kids would not be running around because they would wanna play in the street with dead squirrels. Come on, amen? Like it's flat for a reason, dude. Get out of the street. I get the guts and stuff are cool, but you know what I'm talking about, all right? Like there's a reason for that. I've got to show them what you're doing is not healthy for you. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Man, we, we could talk about a bunch of these. There's naturalism that, that's kind of the atheistic point of view, which is God doesn't exist or matter. Um, we're here by uh, chance, random chance. All things are accident. Uh, Romans 1 has a lot to say about that. God has easily revealed himself through all of nature. No one's without an excuse. Like he shows himself all the time. Humanism um, has this viewpoint that you're your own God. That you're your own God, yet you've got your own ability and strength. Humanism, you're your own God, you know, because we're all trying to worship something. Here's the problem. Sometimes we worship ourselves. And then sometimes we worship created things rather than the creator. That's Romans 1.25. And then you've got the one that he's drawing us to, the biblical world, which is theism. And here's theism. Theism is the, it comes from the Greek word of theo, which means God. And here's what the idea of a biblical worldview of theism is. It means that God made me for his purposes. Come on. And here's what he says about that in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and, everybody say for him. For now say, I was created for him. Say it really fast. I was created for him. Good, because we don't have time. So here we go. And sometimes what happens then is we, we don't realize then this is the viewpoint that's supposed to change our life. The work of salvation that radically transforms us. We don't change. We, we talk about this a lot in our men's group. We're not trying to change ourselves. It's transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is there's a, there's a decreasing pattern in how I used to live. There's an increasing pattern in how Jesus lives. It changes everything in my life. The, the things that I do now, I give myself over to the Beatitudes. I give myself over to love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. All of a sudden, there's something in my life that somebody says, man, they really live Christ-like. And Scripture goes, yeah, it's because I told you that. This is the biblical worldview that we're calling ourselves to. And why does it matter? It matters because Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. If I buy into one of these other ones, I'm gonna be shaped by that. Um, 
Yeah, so here's, I'm gonna invite the, the praise team to come up. Here's what I wanna do today. Here's what Paul's gonna say in Galatians 1, 6. He says, I'm astonished how quickly so many of you are deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The Galatian believers had freedom and then all of a sudden they wanted to go back to the law. They wanna be bound again. He says, you're, you're following a different gospel. And then he says these words, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He's gonna say it again in 2 Corinthians 2.11. He's gonna say, bear with my foolishness just a little bit longer. I have a divine jealousy for you. He's going, I came in, I introduced you to Christ. He's gonna say, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, meaning I brought you into the presence of Christ. And he says these words, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul's like, I'm not worried about the Romans coming in and taking your stuff. I'm not worried about the Roman Empire conquering other lands. I'm worried that somebody's going to come in and get you off track of what a sincere devotion to Jesus looks like. And this right here is it, church. You can get distracted with a thousand things in life. I do. Got to stop following all those rabbit trails. Amen? But at the end of the day, what Paul's concern is, what Peter's concern will be, what Jesus' concern will be is not what all of these external things are happening around the world. He's like, keep watch about those things. He's going, what about your heart? Do you have a pure, sincere devotion to Jesus or is there some things derailing that? And he's gonna go, you gotta dig deep. You gotta cultivate that thing you got to go deep. you got to make sure those roots are planted deep because I'm telling you, he's going, there's going to be some fierce wolves that will come in and twist it. And one day, I'm going to stand before the Lord. You're going to stand before the Lord. And those words that, that, that the enemy tries to come in and twist to get us derailed, those words will not derail us if we know the truth. And we know what it looks like to build our life on biblical foundations. Are we good? Look, man, I, I love to challenge you guys. I, I love like the, oh, there's some motions, goosebumps there. But I'm telling you, any kind of enthusiasm that's not built on the truth of Scripture is no enthusiasm at all. So we can get gifted people all day long to give a rally cry all day long but if they do not believe through the lens of Scripture how they look at the world, we're missing it. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.